0: Tap Scott,
1: and I'm Alex Tapscott,
0: and this is what's on tap. Alex, you just got back from uh Riyadh, uh, Saudi Arabia, giving a big speech. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, I, s- I actually have a copy of it. I'm sure the speech was good, but the part that I'd love to see is apparently you d- debated Nuriel Rubini, the uh, notorious uh, uh, crypto blockchain. Uh, uh, hater, I think would be a fair statement. And also um, the governor of the Bank of Pakistan was there. Um, <laughs> it's, it sounds like ganging up on you a bit, but uh, I just uh, I got an independent report that uh, you killed it. So I can't wait to get my uh, hands on that thing. But uh, can you tell us a bit about the context and, and uh, what was going on? Big sovereign wealth funds in the audience, right?
1: That's right, the event was hosted by MASIC, which is a large family office in Saudi Arabia. It's their annual MASIC investment forum. And I was on stage with Reza Bakir, who is the governor of the Bank of Pakistan, and uh, Nuriel Roubini, who, as you pointed out, is a you know a macro and also a well-known crypto skeptic, and we um, we had it out. It was a really great debate. Um, you know, cordial uh, to a point. We uh, we you know I spent some time with Mr. Roubini, Professor Roubini, before and after. You know, he's a lovely guy, but on stage we really dropped the gloves. So it was it was quite fun um, to to get into it. You know, um, I simply made the case that this technology is very important and it's beginning to have a big impact. Impact on a lot of new industries like financial services, like art and collectibles, like gaming, supply chains, and so forth, and that digital assets are very important innovation that are going to, um, you know, change the world. And I've already t- started to in some pretty interesting ways. And Mr. Bini, um, you know, you re- rehashed some well-worn and easily disprovable critiques of uh, Bitcoin and, and digital assets. You know, they're used by criminals. That's not true, um, at least not in the same um, extent as cash is about 15 basis points of all transactions in crypto is for illicit purposes compared to about two to five percent of all GDP. Um, he men- made the point that you know Bitcoin is a massive energy waster as all as are all other blockchains. Bitcoin, uh, B- Bitcoin is uh, you know based on renewables which is growing quickly, but also most other new blockchains are proof of stake. Um, he said proof of stake is not yet to be proven. Well, there's hundreds of billions of dollars of value that's already. Um, you know, secured on proof of stake networks. Not to mention hundreds of applications in a wide range of industries. Anyway, so he kind of went through the the greatest hits list. Um, could have been <laughs> the same critiques you would have heard in twenty sixteen, honestly. Um, so it was uh, easy to swap them down, but a fun discussion nonetheless. And uh, the talk itself was was really great. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to travel to different parts of the world and get different local perspectives, you know, Mr. Bakir, who's the governor of the Bank of Pakistan, had a very interesting view on all of this, which is that it's true that the Bank of Pakistan has a mandate to support economic growth in the country. But one of its mandates is also to um, prevent dollarization and to prevent capital flight. And this is something we don't actually think about in places like Canada and the U.S. So just to go through those, um, dollarization is basically the, this, the, um, rep, the replacing of, um, the local currency for dollars typically, or some other currencies. So when he talks about dollarization, he's not only talking about, you know, us dollar stable coins, but even Bitcoin itself, uh, replacing or other crypto assets, replacing the local currency. When uh, a central bank loses control of its currency, it loses control of the lever's that allow it to manage the economy. And then the other issue was around capital flight, which is that you know, a lot of emerging markets are um, on pretty f- fragile footing and they require, you know, capital to remain in the country. If it, if it leaves the country, then it can be destabilizing. And it was just an interesting reminder that of how fortunate we are in in places like Canada and the US to be able to talk about blockchain and digital assets. Yeah the way we talk about the internet, right, as a, as a new and important technology that, if we do this right, could put us on a footing to be a leader in Web3. We don't have to worry, I don't think, <laughs> about Bitcoin replacing the Canadian dollar or the US dollar. But people in other parts of the world do actually think about that. So it was an interesting reminder and maybe also a, a sign of just how I think concerned, maybe even scared a lot of people are about the impact of this technology, um, what it could mean for you know nation states and and um, how they manage their own economies. I thought that was quite revealing um, and and surprising, maybe surprising only because I've been just trapped in Canada because of COVID and I haven't had an opportunity to really travel the world. So it was it was great for that reason as well. you know, you travel and you 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 have eye-opening um, experiences.
0: Isn't it true? It was exhilarating for me uh, to get out and do that eight uh, country speaking tour uh, in the fall. Um, but so, what's going to happen in Pakistan? Um, did you get a sense of where well, it's going? Yeah.
1: So, basically, like they, you know, I think that this is the classic problem of conflating Bitcoin with all digital assets or Bitcoin with blockchain, right? Yeah. So, You know maybe they're concerned about bitcoin being used as a way to move capital out of the country but should they be as concerned about nfts being used for digital identity or should they be as concerned about securities tokens when all stocks and bonds are digital assets will those be banned as well so it's sort of the the law of unintended consequences where you know the focus is only on on these monetary assets and that and that um causes some confusion because ultimately this is simply just a, a technology it's a digital medium for value and it can enable and support all assets so you know you ban you ban digital assets now and you're going to end up you know preventing all sorts of economic opportunity and growth in the country. And honestly, we'll make it probably unworkable. Like what happens when you know, a big US bank like JP Morgan um, or Wells Fargo has its own stable coin, which it probably will this year. Are those gonna be banned in Pakistan? JP Morgan's digital asset? you know, um, Will yeah. Standard Charter just launched um, a bond issuance uh, on the Ethereum blockchain? Will those securities you know, that were Created by a major global bank, also be banned. Will pieces of art that use NFTs be banned? So there's all these things that I don't think they're they're actually thinking about that um, that seriously. And you know, it was interesting to me that um, there was a gentleman there who's the number two person at Saudi Arabia's largest private bank. Um, so not the state bank, but you know, a, a commercial bank. And um, he's a, a you know PhD from MIT by background. <clears throat> and was an entrepreneur in the technology industry. He has a radically different view, obviously. He's, he's big on web three and sees the potential for this to be as big as the internet, if not bigger. Yeah. And it's just, again, interesting, even within these regions, within these conferences, within these discussions to see such a wide range of opinion. Sounds fascinating. <laughs> it really was. I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was a really wonderful experience. And I see I, I, it seems like I maybe missed out on some some stuff happening on the home front. Um, people, <laughs> you know, uh, well, while I was out, you know, keeping on trucking, there were some truckers in Ottawa up to something. Um, and I heard also I heard also that they were using Bitcoin as a way to raise money for their cause. Proof once again <clears throat> that Bitcoin and all digital assets are evil. Is that right?
0: Uh, yes, uh, proof. Um, so what's the next topic? Now, seriously, um, The um, by the way, for those uh, <clears throat> outside of Canada uh, who may be listening to Ted Cruz or watching Fox News about the trucker convoy, uh, this is not what it seems. Yeah, for, for sure, there's a legitimate concern or a legitimate bait, debate to be had about uh, government mandates and uh, how soon they should be lifted, and so on. But um, what's happened is that this uh, so-called freedom convoy has become sort of a magnet for all kinds of really extreme, and I mean extreme, uh, sort of uh, right-wing causes. So, in the demonstrations in Ottawa with the truckers, um, you know, you had uh, Confederate flags, and there was a Nazi flag, and and um, I know. They blocked up the street right outside our condo here. And I uh, walked out having worn my mask in the elevator onto the street. And I had a woman screaming at me because I was wearing a mask. So um, and now, of course, we've got all kinds of international money, in, in particular coming from the U.S., that's trying to find a way uh, to, to, uh, to support this thing. So it's, it's sort of a globalization of, of this extreme right. Somebody called it the Trumpization of Canada. Of course, Donald Trump has, has uh, weighted in, uh, referring to uh, Justin Trudeau as, as a sort of a left wing uh, extremist. And um, so just get to, to get to the, uh, the Bitcoin part, um, I have a physical uh, publication here because I didn't have time to get my password working on this newspaper. But uh, how Bitcoin bigwigs came to fundraise for Convoy. Group of five men are in control of 500K in donations. So Bitcoin investors want to orange pill the world and create a financial system outside of government regulation and are rallying to join forces with and raise money for the Freedom Convoy protest in Canada. Uh, the group of five men will exclusively control the donations, which so har- far have reached around $500,000. And they say they want to show that cryptocurrencies are the libertarian money of the future. Um, orange pill, I guess, is a reference to the matrix. Uh, you know, do you want the red pill or the blue pill? The red pill meaning that you get to see um, what's, uh, what's really happening. So, uh, boy, trying to unpack that. And and if I read the whole article, there are another 20 amazing kind of statements in here that uh, do need to be unpacked. So, um, uh, gentle listeners, uh, what's on tap? You can be forgiven to have some cognitive dissonance if you're uh, reading that newspaper and also uh, noticing how Ukrainians are using Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin to crowdfund the um, the response to the uh, Russian war, and then we've got uh, Julian Assange, uh, 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 a big movement basically, reported in Cointelegraph Telegraph, that has um, that's using uh, Bitcoin to raise money for for Julian Assange. They've raised fifty-three million dollars to help help with his uh, legal costs and basically to uh, fight for his freedom. So um, I don't know, what is this, the good, the bad, and the ugly, or it's um, kind of reminds me of the good old days with the internet, that it was used for criminals and for pornography and so on. And uh, personally, I'm not suffering cognitive dissonance, I'm suffering deja vu, you know, that, I mean, we've been through this thing so many times over a decade. And, uh, but still, there's so much confusion or else there are malicious forces that are attempting to, you know, basically uh, throw um, throw a pall of uh, illegitimacy all over, uh, not not just Bitcoin, but the whole sort of blockchain revolution. But um, having been away and, and reflecting, having a sober reflection on all this, Alex, I'm sure it was sober if you're in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yes. Yeah um uh, any 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 thoughts
1: i think you and i are of a like mind on this issue which is that this is a technology it doesn't have any moral agency and it is a technology that enables a form of expression um that i think wasn't as possible before which is the ability to to organize online around a common cause and to fund that initiatives which is why we saw um, this being used to fund dissidents in Belarus, why it's being used in the Ukraine to help fund militias, as you pointed out, why it's being used by people to help support um, Julian Assange. However, you feel about him, you know, a divisive figure, but someone you know who people feel very strongly about, and obviously it's being used um, here to um, fund the the convoy. I I, I I'm not as I just don't really feel very concerned about this. I do feel like occasionally I have to, to talk to people and to explain to them. I bet you that the people in the convoy are also using email, which is another permissionless networking technology. Um, but we don't say email is bad because they're sending emails about, you know, coordinating refueling of their, co- of their trucks. So in fact, they- there are, in fact,
0: there are a bunch of news articles saying they're using Telegram, which is an encrypted um, text environment, and for sure they're using the good old fashioned internet with GoFundMe and now other uh, uh, platforms to raise funds. So just to your point, yeah, Bruce, huh? I think
1: I think that's interesting, but I also think that those are company p- platforms that are um, that are capable of being pressured into either doing yeah. supporting them or not. Right. So for example, GoFundMe. Um, yeah campaign has been suspended. I really think you've got to just, you know, take everyone needs to take a chill pill and realize that this is just a permissionless technology like email. Email is not, email itself is not owned by anyone, right? It is, um, you know, an open source technology like Bitcoin. So these are things that people can use, anyone can plug in and anybody can use them. And it can be used for good and it can be used for um, if you disagree, something that's that's bad. And, you know, in, in our case, we're Canadians, we're here on the, you know, on the front lines. I find that this um, protest to be pretty repugnant and uh, disruptive. And I actually think the Ottawa thing is a sideshow. The thing I'm way more freaked out about is um, the main commercial artery between Canada and the United States has been Held up by a similar protest, handles 270 million U.S. dollars of goods every single day. About a quarter of all trade between two countries. Um, you know, that's we're having our own little mini Suez Canal <laughs> crisis um, out there in Detroit, and I think it's not getting the attention it deserves. So, um, anyway, that's a that's a, I digress. But you know, when it comes to the technology itself, does that mean that I think that you know. Um, people shouldn't be able to use Bitcoin to fund legitimate things? No, of course not. I think that's the way it is, right? Yeah. Well,
0: and how about the uh, point, too, about uh, Bitcoin being different than cash and that law enforcement can still do all kinds of things with it? Um, I think uh, we were discussing a recent story on this earlier today. Well, I think uh, another point to be made on all this is that if you're smart law enforcement, uh, Bitcoin is a lot better than cash. Cash, which by the way, is the main technology, good old fashioned dollars, uh, main technology used by, by criminals. It's the foundation of organized crime, of the drug industry, of uh, tax evasion, um, uh, money laundering, and so on. And uh, there was this really insane story um, about a young couple that was arrested for allegedly trying to launder uh, $4 billion in, in Bitcoin that they purportedly stole from the uh, uh, Bitfinex exchange a few years ago. And they, they these people made goofy rap uh, videos and delivered a bunch of uh, sort of lame, inspirational talks online, and then they, they they did some odd things. They stored their private keys in a spreadsheet on the cloud, and um, and so on. But putting all that aside, it, it's uh, it's sort of a, a pertinent point that that the authorities have been tracing this, and that because of the metadata that's left, they've been monitoring the wallet address for years, waiting for something to happen. Yeah, and. Um, i i know that you've looked into this uh, thoughts on that
1: looked into it yes um it was the the most popular thing on twitter yesterday um people incredulous that the masterminds behind one of the biggest hacks were these just absolutely ridiculous people but uh, let's putting putting that aside for a moment just to look at the facts so a bunch of Bitcoin was hacked from an account, from uh, from an exchange back in 2016, and it sat in um, hundreds of different wallet addresses. All of these wallet addresses, as everyone knows, are available for anyone to see, you know, they can be searched um, using a block explorer. They can, you can see the balance, you can see when, you know, any Bitcoin was moved in and out of them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, They didn't move for years because, you know, the second that the money was hacked, presumably law enforcement was monitoring them, sitting on them. And apparently recently, uh, these folks were trying to um, move the money to launder the money somehow to get it out of the accounts. And that, combined with some other sleuthing, uh, basically allowed law enforcement to figure out. Um, where the private keys were held, and so you know, basically the very strong passwords were located in a in like a Google Doc on on Dropbox or something. I mean, I'm, I'm I don't know, I can't remember the exact thing, but it was basically a an Excel spreadsheet on a cloud server that you know was like password protected with a weak password. So kind of ridiculous. They got a the Justice Department, I think, got a warrant. Um, you know, it was a lawful search and seizure. They and then they just took the Bitcoin, they just removed it from all the accounts because they had access to the private keys, right? Just basically drained the accounts and then arrested these two young, youngish, young-ish people. You know, I don't want to say like they're kids who've made a mistake. These are people in their like mid-30s. So um, anyway, they're out on, bond, out on a $3 million bond. We'll see. Maybe um, there's other facts that will come to light. But it's just another reminder that the reason that only 15 basis points, so, you know, uh, a little more than one tenth of a percent of all Bitcoin transactions are used for illicit purposes, way less than the average across cash and the broader economy. And that's because it has to be one of the worst mediums in the world for conducting criminal activity because it is traceable, immutable and trustworthy. You know, you don't you know, the law enforcement doesn't need to say it's not a he said she said thing where they say they stole. They say they didn't. It's like this is on the blockchain. This is the most authoritative source of information that the world has ever created, ever. And there's no way to dispute its legitimacy. And that's it. That's the end of it. It's like if it was there, it was there. So um, so um, I think that another reminder to criminals just um, I mean, I don't want to provide advice to criminals, but, but they're not good for criminals is kind of the point.
0: <laughs> yeah. Bottom line, advice for criminals. Don't be a criminal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't okay. want I don't want to. Yeah, exactly. The the title of our podcast, Advice for Criminals. I, I don't think so. <laughs> advice for Criminals. Don't be a criminal. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, all right. Well, that's a, <clears throat> a uh, sober, again, note to uh, end on. Yes. And, um, uh, just some announcements. Um, our big event for the enterprise, Blockchain Revolution Global, is returning April 21st, uh, 22nd. I uh, call it the Web3 Summit uh, at the Metro Convention Center. And uh, you can visit uh, www.blockchainrevolutionglobal.com for more details about the event. Um, Our new book edited by yours truly um, is uh, Platform Revolution. I've written uh, several of the pieces uh, in there. And um, I think it's a terrific book, It's selling quite well. And it's available on Amazon now in hardcover and e-book editions. I noticed that somebody has also linked that book to my TED talk. So that's uh, the thing five years later, still growing at 3,000 views a day. So uh, that should um, generate some traffic on the book as well. And our most recent uh, webinar, um, Blockchain Food Safety and Sustainable Agriculture is available on the Blockchain Research Institute uh, uh, YouTube channel. Of course, you can go to blockchainresearchinstitute.org or .com and um, all of this material is there, or uh, links to it uh, are there. Uh, so, uh, Alex, uh, welcome back. Um, I, I, I hope we both get out in the road soon. Again, you know, uh, who is it who said 99% of everything is just showing up? And uh, we've all been showing up virtually over the last couple of years. Uh, thankfully, it looks like <clears throat> the dust is settling. And uh, we'll be able to show up uh, physically. So um, back on the road again. Anyway, and uh, to all of you listeners and viewers, we'll see you again next week for What's on Tap.